Welcome to Relationships as Spiritual Practice, Bridging the Secular and Spiritual, with your host, Lachelle Lowe Chardet, founder of Mindful Compassionate Dialogue and Wiseheart PDX. Welcome. Thank you for being here. Thank you for everything you've done that allows you to have the space and the resources to challenge yourself with personal transformation and spiritual connection. Thank you. Today I'd like to offer three keys to cultivating emotional security. I'll tell you the three keys and then we'll begin with some general ideas. The first is some specifics around how to understand the ways insecurity directs your behavior. The second is offering security to others. And the third is resources for anchoring and learning regarding emotional security. First, I want to go ahead and define emotional security. Defining it the way I am in my paradigm here, I'm saying that emotional security, synonymous in some ways with spiritual security, is a basic sense of a greater love, care, intelligence, or connection in which you know you matter in which you are connected to your intrinsic worth that is not dependent upon your successes or failures in the relative world, your blind spot or your insights, that it's just a given. More specifically, if we consider emotional security and relationships, we could say something like, regardless of what's happening, a part of you stays connected to the fact that you are intrinsically, intrinsically lovable. And the other person is as well. Another general aspect I want to offer is that for emotional security, I consider spiritual refuge an essential, fundamental element. And it can be a little tricky. I would say for those in spiritual practice, it's probably not unusual that instead of taking spiritual refuge in the face of a challenge in a relationship, They engaged in spiritual bypassing. So that's a very fine point to maintain awareness. Spiritual bypassing is saying something to yourself like, well, it doesn't matter what happens with that person, pulling your heart and your connection away from that relationship and giving the reason as because God loves me or because... I know I'm one with everything, or because in the absolute it doesn't matter. That's a form of bypassing. Spiritual refuge, on the the other hand, in the way I'm using the term, 
is saying, ah, I'm facing this relationship challenge and to face it well with my whole heart and my skills. I want to ground myself in the spiritual practices, beliefs, any kind of resource that you have spiritually and then return to the relationship. So that intention to gather something somewhere else and then return, that's key. The last thing, general idea I want to offer in this big scheme of what does it mean when we say relationships as a spiritual practice? One way to say this is that when you are challenged in a relationship or in a particular relationship dynamic, that you are consistently asking yourself the question, what is this challenge calling me to cultivate, realize, or notice in myself? That's maintaining relationships as a spiritual practice that whenever there is a challenge, you're asking a key question, something like, what is this challenge calling me to cultivate, realize, or notice? And for me, that's a big part of maintaining a spiritual practice in the context of relationships. Okay. Let's look at these three keys to cultivating emotional security. Understanding how insecurity directs your behaviors and your thinking, offering security to others, and engaging in resources for anchoring and learning. Like many forms of reactivity, emotional insecurity often lives in a vicious cycle. in that even though you long for this sense of emotional security, you do things which take you in the other direction. So let's look at a little deeper understanding of that and then let's look at those habits. One of the most common things I observe in others who say they want more emotional security is this unconscious dance to protect themselves against the pain of rejection and the pain of losing their choice. So there is a link here to examine between autonomy and acceptance. They go together often, I wouldn't say always, but often, with a sense of insecurity and they kind of go in a circle such that if you risk saying no to someone or what's true for you, then you see it as a risk with acceptance. So in other words, you're motivated to gain acceptance at all costs. And whether you know this consciously or unconsciously, 
That means that if you're willing to gain acceptance at all costs, you're often willing to give up your autonomy or your choice. And so rather than risk both those things, you find yourself avoiding, avoiding anything that might disconnect you from your choice as you pursue that acceptance. And so this leads to communicating vaguely or being elusive. So let's look at specifically some ways that might manifest. I have a list here. It's kind of a long list. My hope in offering you a long list is that you say with one of these, if, if insecurity comes up for you, you recognize something and then you can jump in there and bring more awareness, warmth and compassion to yourself with that decision or habit. The first on my list here of behaviors that lead to insecurity that consistently prevent, prevent the cultivation of emotional security is inconsistency. It might be, you might be inconsistent in a given conversation. With cell phones, this happens a lot. And it's not just like a sign of our modern age. It really contributes to insecurity. When you show up at a tea time or a walk or a dinner with someone else and you can't let go of having your phone in your hand, you are setting yourself up for maybe I'll be present, maybe I won't. And so the other person also may not drop into presence for you because they see that you're not going to offer presence. Or you let go of your phone, but then in the next 10 minutes later, you pick up your phone. The conversation had a moment of silence or a theme finished, and you go right to your phone. Filling those silent spaces or those spaces where something finishes does not promote depth of connection or security. Those spaces in between a connection are gold. That's the space where what just happened settles in you. And that's the space in which another layer of awareness about the topic at hand or about your connection with that person can wake up. When you go to your phone in that empty space, you block deepening. And when you block deepening, you block an opportunity to feel more secure in yourself, to offer security to the other person, and to create a sense of security in the relationship. Another example of inconsistency could be in a moment that you have designated yourself as available, you might be able to offer an incredible amount of eye contact, affection, smiling, hugging, all these things. But then an hour later, when you've probably unconsciously named yourself as unavailable because you're tired or 
something came up on your phone or whatever it is, you pull away. That other person who you are relating to or group then doesn't know where you are. It's like, are you here or not? It's not clear. And when you're in, when your behavior is inconsistent and others don't know where you are or why you're leaving or why you're coming back, they start to distance themselves from you. They also want to protect a tenderness around rejection or perceived rejection, abandonment, whatever the favorite reactivity is. You may not always be inspired to offer a smile or a hug or consistent attention. And in that moment, you can still offer security to the other person and the relationship by saying that out loud. That's all. Something as simple as, I really care about our connection and about you knowing that I'm here for you. And at the same time, I notice a sudden tiredness or I notice I have a headache so if you see me looking away or looking down I'm tending to a moment of rest or I'm distracted by my headache just that simple communication is huge offering emotional security isn't about always being smiling and affectionate and warm it's about that clarity of what's happening with you that you can offer to the other person So those were in the moment and examples. The same applies to examples over time. You're with a friend and you say, hey, this was fun. I know you're in town one more day. What if we get together and we we do some more of that again tomorrow? How about two o'clock? And you're like, great. Just call me when you're ready. That sounds great for me. And then the next day you say, when are we getting together? You want to get together around four or five or six? This kind of inconsistency in your communication leaves the other person wondering, what's happening? Did our conversation really occur? What's real? They don't know what's real and they'll pull away. Anyone will pull away when they don't know what's real for you. And again, it's not that if you said 2 o'clock one day, you have to stick with 2 o'clock. It's that you communicate about what happened to you in between saying 2 o'clock and then the next day saying 4, 5, 6 o'clock. What happened in that space in between? I'm guessing that when you don't want to communicate that, something came up for you that you really want to do and you think, oh, if I communicate about that, I risk both acceptance and autonomy to do what I'd rather do now. And therefore you do this kind of dance of don't see me, don't question me, don't talk about it, don't talk about the difference. It's a very costly strategy. Saying one thing and then doing another and not communicating about it. That level of inconsistency over time both creates insecurity in yourself and your relationship with yourself and also in relationship with the other person. 
Let's look at this idea of vague communication as another way insecurity manifests and perpetuates a circle of insecurity. Vague communication. I've already talked some about some types of vague communication. Other forms of vague communication include, well, you, you throw out a list of possible things, but you don't say anything about what would work for you or why it would work. Your choice is probably in that list somewhere, but the other person doesn't really know where you stand, so negotiation is very hard to reach. It's hard to collaborate with you. You say, oh, I'll be there tomorrow afternoon, but you don't say any ballpark time. Probably because you want to protect your autonomy. You throw out an idea, maybe in the middle of a process you're having, but you don't say where that idea comes from or how it fits with a process of your own or a process of another. For the other person, your ideas seem a little random, like, and so they don't respond to them because they don't make sense. And then the vicious circle is you make an attempt to enter that's on your side seen as ignored or rejected. You can see how that fish circle, vicious circle goes. And then you protect again by not being attuned to the other person or the group or the decision. And then you want to enter, and so when you enter, it's not connected, and the other person perceives that. And again, they ignore, they become frustrated with, with what you've offered, wishing for clarity and true collaboration. Related to this is losing sight of the whole picture. If you're withdrawing to protect acceptance or autonomy again and again, it seems to you like, oh, I'm just doing self-care, or I have important message on my, messages on my phone, so I look at it during our meeting when I could know the whole picture, but I keep interrupting my attention with my phone. Those, I would say, are probably defenses. You're trying to protect your autonomy by not entering fully into a group or decision or a particular relationship. Phones are really good defense systems. Phones pull you out again and again, and they give you relief from the tension of being fully present. Why would being fully present create tension? Because if you're fully present in a group or relationship, then naturally you're going to share more vulnerably, then naturally you could perceive a risk to acceptance, and if you have perceive a risk to acceptance, you know you will pursue acceptance at any cost, therefore threatening your autonomy. When you need a break from tension, instead of looking at your phone, you could close your eyes or you could ask the, re the other person or the group for a pause so you can take in what's happening, so you can resource. But that's in the next section. Let's look at a few more things about understanding how insecurity directs your behave, behavior in a vicious cycle of more insecurity. 
you might have an unconscious decision of forgetting what's important to others. You literally think you forget. You literally can't remember what was important to someone about some particular context, maybe even the way they receive security. This forgetting, I'm guessing, is just another defense mechanism to keep you distanced. Another way is being out of sync with the group. Everyone's gathering together and you decide to go for a jog right before a big welcoming or uh, right before dinner, people are gathering for dinner and you go for a jog. So the group is doing one thing and you're, you're coming in and out of the group and out of sync with the group. Again, I'm guessing that is a way to defend against a sense of threat to autonomy and acceptance. Another, well, we've already talked about the phone, but dividing attention with the phone and coming in and out of presence. Obviously, it could be not just be a phone. It could be anything, any way in which you consistently interrupt your attention to the group or the other person. And along with that and along with being vague, you don't say how long your attention is available. So you can see that vicious cycle of you keep protecting your autonomy, but you keep making your autonomy unstable by not being clear. You're vague. You feel unstable about what's wanted from you or what you want to offer. And there we go in a circle. When you want to give your presence, if you can say, ah, you have my full attention for this entire meal. Then you've set a boundary that helps you feel secure and helps the other person feel secure. And we'll get more to that in the last, we'll talk about that more in the last one. The second one is offering security. The second key. That's true for most things in life. If you want to cultivate something, you also offer it. If you want to receive something, you also offer it. The two go hand in hand. If you want to offer more security to others and therefore be more secure yourself, you could just say it's the opposite of everything we just said about what triggers insecurity. But I'll say it in these positive terms. Perhaps the most important thing to begin with is to tell yourself, I want to offer emotional security to others. I want them to know that our relationship is secure, that my love is given, that my care is given. And that means, of course, this very basic part of nonviolent communication and mindful, compassionate dialogue of separating the needs from the strategies. As long as you are confused and imagining that, something like this, for the other person to know that my care is consistent, I have to, and then fill in the blank with a behavior, always be warm, always be friendly, always smile, give him lots of reassurance. It doesn't matter what the second part of that sentence is. 
as long as you attach your care for someone with some behavior you have to do, you'll be stuck. And you'll avoid offering the very things that would, from the generosity of your heart, create security. So let's just look at that list that triggers insecurity and say the opposite of it to trigger security. Consistency. Offer consistency. That's not about arriving on time all the time, keeping your agreements all the time. Being on time and keeping your agreements, though, are an aspect of consistency that I can think, I think goes a long ways. The main thing is that you're, in con- that you're consistent about communicating your process in keeping agreements or breaking agreements. You consistently communicate. In the, these days, we exchange a lot of messages on, on WhatsApp. People exchange a lot of audio messages on regular phone, a lot of text messages or images. And sometimes there's like a volley of back and forths. A simple thing to do when there's a volley of back and forths to maintain consistency is to say, ah, I just received your message and now it's time for an appointment I have. I'll be back in a couple of hours and respond to your message. Just to offer that. This is my process on my side. Or we just started exchanging messages and now when I look at my calendar and my energy, I will look at messages again tomorrow morning. Whatever it is, you're offering that clarity and consistency of communicating about what's happening for you and your intention to return to a connection in a particular way. Let's look at vague communication. I'm sure you felt that moment when, oof, there's more going on with you. There's more to the story, but you just say a little part and you're feeling tense. If you say more, will the other person mm, hear that you don't care about them? Will they imagine you're not interested? Will they pressure you? Will they perceive it as a trigger for conflict. There's a lot that can happen there when you have that tension of, oh, there's more to the truth here, but I don't want to share it. This is an important moment to pause and examine what's happening inside. When you're feeling nervous about offering more rather than something vague, so this is the opposite of being vague, you can Use little phrases to help bridge that space in between what your habit of being vague is and what the whole truth is that's relevant to that particular conversation or decision. Things like, I feel torn, are particularly good phrases. I feel torn because I realized that yesterday I had a lot of energy to get together again today with you. 
and today I've received all these messages about a project and now I'm really wanting to invest my energy in this project and be responsible for a sense of timeliness with this group. And so I wonder if you'd be willing to renegotiate our time together today because I really do care about our connection. That bridge of revealing your care, revealing what happened to shift what you originally said or wanted, and then offering again reassurance and inviting negotiation. Or maybe you don't want to invite negotiation. Maybe you're really clear. Today, I'm choosing to give my attention to this project. Would you be willing to find another way to connect on another day. So you're not going to negotiate about that day, but you'd like to collaborate around a new decision or a new agreement. That kind of clarity about what's happening with you puts the other person at ease. Ah, it's not about a lack of care. I can totally understand when a certain project comes up that maybe I had forgotten before and I see the deadlines that I had lost track of. I've had that experience of suddenly I want to invest my time there. Because you can understand from your own life the process of another, those details contribute to security. When communication is vague, those vague spaces will be filled in by the other person. And that filling in, filling in of those vague spaces may not, not only not be accurate, but may be filled in with attributions of a lack of caring and some judgments that you're not responsible, you're not reliable. Why bother? Or they might be filled in with judgments of themselves, very painful judgments. I'm not lovable. I'm not worth caring about. I don't matter. Judgments of self. Let's look at this next one we named, losing sight of the whole picture. If you have habits of disconnecting from a larger process with a group or a person and making a decision, then that's okay. You're working your way towards not doing that. And in the meantime, if you can make it transparent, right? Saying something as simple as, I don't know if I've lost track of the bigger threat or not. Can you tell me if this idea fits with what's happening? That can be really helpful for security. Or simply saying, would you be willing to give me a four or five sentence summary of the big picture of this gathering, this decision, this situation, whatever it is, to really make sure that you haven't lost track, to check in, to ask for feedback and support and maintaining sight of the whole picture. The next one was making unilateral decisions. Unilateral decisions that affect others, that clearly affect others. Well, clearly from we're not sure what perspective. The opposite of that is checking in, 
This is hard. This is hard if you're really protecting acceptance and autonomy a lot. So I encourage you to interrupt the habit of unilateral decisions to think through your day at the beginning of each day. Maybe if you even just did this for a week. Noticing how you have your week planned. Are there particular decisions that if you change them, or if you made them, you are, would imagine an impact on someone else that you want to care for. You want to care for that impact. So just that anticipation will help you to collaborate early while you still have enough confidence that you could maintain a choice that works for you. The next one, forgetting what's important to others. If you have a habit of disconnecting from insecurity, then you might start remembering what's important to others by writing it down. Insecurity blocks this incredible capacity we have to remember what's important to others because those memories are fused with pleasant emotions. Remembering what's important to others is not a mental activity when we are secure and connected. When we disconnect, it might need to be a mental activity until we cultivate more consistent connection and the joy of that connection. So sometimes I hear people say things like, oh, I just don't remember those kinds of things about others. Uh, I don't think that's a genetic thing. <laughs> I'm just the way I am. Ooh, not my favorite phrase. <laughs> if there's something you consistently forget about others, I would guess there's some sort of an emotional block there. There's some reason you don't put an effort in, or there's some reason that natural remembering that's fused with positive emotions is being blocked. Oh, it's a place to take a look. Being out of sync with the group is the next one. Being in sync with the group gives you a sense of presence and connection and contributes to emotional security. I was recently leading a retreat and we had a team there and I made a new friend. His name is Leon. And as I looked around at various pauses or organizing moments or even during the middle of the group, I could see that Leon was attuning to the rhythm of the group. He was noticing what's needed next, what's needed next. And then sometimes he did it unilaterally, which is helpful. And sometimes he checked in with me and the other team leader so that he could be in sync with the group. For me, that contributed to an incredible amount of security with him. When you're attending to what's needed to make a group go in the direction that group wants to go, that contributes to a sense of security. And the last one we already talked about a little bit, 
not dividing your attention. This is really an issue for life-serving boundaries. When you decide, when you're self-connected and you know where you want your attention to go, it's going to be easy for you to say what's true for you in that, you in that moment. I'm here having lunch with you and I'd like to give you my full presence and what I'm aware of is that I'm waiting for a text from my doctor. So when my phone makes a vibration sound, I'm going to look at it to see if that's my doctor. So it's going to interrupt my presence with you today at lunch. Just offering that. It's not that you have to have full presence. It's that you communicate about how you are managing your presence, what you're offering and what you're not offering in a given conversation, a given trip, a given car ride, meeting, whatever it might be. Okay, those are the first two keys to cultivating emotional security. Noticing the decisions and the thinking and the behaviors that trigger insecurity and then doing the opposite of that. And I would suggest choosing one of the insecurities and then focusing on its opposite as a place to begin with those two. The third thing is more explicit, resources for anchoring and learning. This is more, what do I mean by explicit? I mean more outside of the situation. You're, you're explicitly deciding to do that which interrupts unconscious habits that trigger insecurity in yourself and others. And so for this, I would like you to take as a given <laughs> that those habits are functioning. If you are struggling with emotional insecurity, you're less secure, feeling less secure than you would like to feel, then I would offer that those habits are in operation and you can just go ahead and jump in and assume that and start with some of these four things that I'm going to name. The first is to decide on a spiritual anchor. And we talked about at the beginning, the difference between spiritual bypassing and taking refuge in your spiritual practice. Taking refuge in your spiritual practice meaning, means you recognize that you want to gather resources from a greater love, greater connection, greater intelligence from God, from the universe, however you name it. You want to gather resources from your connection with something greater so that you can show up in your relationships with more security. Whatever your spiritual practice is, look for something in that that immediately opens that door. That you're loved, that you're intrinsically worthy, intrinsically accepted. What opens that door for you? Is it words? Is it movement? Is it time in nature? Is it a mantra? Find a spiritual anchor that specifically contributes to an expansive sense of emotional security. The second is more within the relationship. Look for opportunities for ask 
to ask for reassurance. Along with this, we could say, look for or review, write down moments in which you naturally received reassurance that your connection with that person is secure. I had a moment this weekend in which a friend of mine, I was very, very tired, and this friend just kind of covered me with affection, which was kind of unusual for our relationship. The degree of affection and care and hugging, little kisses, little sweet caresses. That, I'm going to put that experience with that person in my little box (laughs) of moments I refer to when insecurity is triggered with that person. With that person or life in general. So you're looking for those kinds of experiences in which, oh, you really were able to take in someone's care. Being really, really tired is a state in which we can often take in more care, for instance. But just noticing what that is for you. What are those states when you can take in someone's care pretty easily? That in itself is huge. And then when you notice those, you might be more apt to notice those moments of reassurance about your connection with someone and therefore remember them. This next one is a little advanced. I'm going to throw it out there anyway. Ask for feedback from others about whether or not they feel secure around you. If you ask in general, you'll uh, get a general answer and it probably won't be very helpful. The more vague the question, the more vague the answer typically. But if you say, oh, you know, while you were getting ready for that presentation or while you were telling me about that conflict with your daughter, did my presence offer you a sense of security that I care about you, that I was with you? Or is there some way in which you weren't sure if I was with you? Get that feedback. And if they say, no, I didn't think you were with me. And maybe they're good at describing that. They're effective at describing what didn't work. And maybe they're not. That's okay. You're wanting the feedback? Go for it. Get that feedback. Okay, let's review what happened. I wonder if it was because I took a phone call. I wonder if it was because I started eating while you were talking about something vulnerable. I wonder if it was... Make some guesses, and that will help the other person to self-connect and notice, what was it really? Oh, when I said, I don't know if my daughter loves me or not, you said, don't be ridiculous, of course she does. <laughs> right? You offered me a judgment, a moment of judgment. The other person will start to become more aware of what didn't work and what did work, hopefully. When someone said, yes, you were totally present for me, Wow, I'm really celebrating how secure I felt about your care. Whew, that's gold, right? If you don't ask the question, you don't get that gold. And you say, oh, great. What did I do or say that offered that to you? What specifically? Humility is so important. 
You imagine you know how to create security for another, and then you get this feedback, and you might be surprised about what someone says that created security for them. Ask, 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 ask. And the last thing is ask, another kind of ask, ask people who seem to have a lot a high level of emotional security two questions how they got there what did they do in their path to go from insecurity to security and what do they do when they feel insecure if someone grew up in a family if you found a unicorn person in which they grew up with a, in a family with incredible emotional security healthy attachment wonderful family dynamics that supported their emotional security, my guess is they might not be able to answer the how very well. The more we're swimming around in the ambiance of a gift, the less we understand how that gift got created, typically. What they might be able to really, really answer to an extreme degree is what they do when they feel insecure. Someone who grew up with a lot of in emotional security has usually incredible tools for managing insecurity that have been modeled for them. Someone who grew up in a very insecure environment and has attained a significant, significant level of emotional security will likely be able to give you more clues about the steps in between. Interview those people in your life that have cultivated a quality that you aspire to cultivate more of. Your community is full of incredible, rich resources. Ask, ask, ask. I hope this talk has been inspiring for you around emotional security and that you might find in it a baby step for you, a way of interrupting habits around insecurity, anchoring to bring more resources to a situation, and offering security to others. Thank you so much for being with me today. Radiating love from my heart to yours. You can find free resources and information about Mindful Compassionate Dialogue, as well as WiseHeart's live offerings and self-paced workshops online at www.wiseheartpdx.org. You can also connect with WiseHeart on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube, or by emailing info at wiseheartpdx.org.